Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hi, everyone. Dr. Jennifer here. Our one-year anniversary of launching my Room for Two podcast is fast approaching, and we are planning to celebrate. As part of Room for Two's one-year celebration, we're going to be checking in with Dave and Carly, who were my first guests on the podcast, and we'll be talking with them about the changes that they have experienced over the past year and how it's changed both their emotional relationship and their sexual relationship. It's going to be incredible and you do not want to miss it. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to release each installment of the Dave and Carly series on our Conversations with Dr. Jennifer podcast. The first episode of the series is already available. You can find that in the show notes below. And this week, we're going to release the second episode of the series where I will be working with Carly and Dave to confront their complicated relationship to sexual pleasure and help them find a path to creating a more intimate relationship, one that's more authentic and exciting and mutually fulfilling. The Room for Two podcast, if you don't know, is a powerful format in which I work with real couples confronting challenges in their emotional and sexual relationship. Each episode gives you the opportunity to see yourself in other people's stories and recognize yourself, recognize what you've been blind to and how it's been negatively impacting your relationship. This podcast is changing marriages and it has the power to change you and your relationship too. So I hope you enjoy this second installment of my work with Dave and Carly. And if you do, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes below. Thanks, everyone. The couples in this series are not ongoing clients of Dr. Finlayson Fife. To ensure their anonymity, their names and identifying features have been changed, but their stories and their voices are real. Welcome to Room for Two, Couples Coaching with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So Dave and Carly, welcome back to the podcast. And Good to be here. I'll just remind listeners a little bit about the first episode. This was episode one in the podcast where we talked a bit about some of the strains that have been in your relationship um, around your training in the medical profession or maybe orthodontist, I think it is. And um, the kind of ways in which, Carly, you were kind of hunkering down, waiting for this time when things would be better, but still feeling some disconnection, even when those pressures lessened, feeling like Dave had too much loyalty to his family, his mother, and Carly, you feeling a bit like the one who's in pursuit of more connection. Um, is there anything else you'd add about just that kind of that initial conversation? Yeah, I think you really exposed really quickly in such a short period of time. Cause I hope your listeners know this is really the first time we've met with you mm-hmm. uh, from that first podcast and, and just really exposing that, wow, I'm crazy in need of proof of his loyalty, 
or, and, and that kind of a thing. So we have talked a lot and re-listened a lot. And I think you're spot on with the things that we originally thought were the core issues. Yeah. Good. Okay. So yeah, seeing your own kind of neediness and pursuit, Carly. Yeah. Big time. And Dave, how about for you? You know, what stood out for you from that first conversation? Um, it's important to be able to look at um, the chain of events that have happened through a different lens than our own, through an mm-hmm. outsider perspective. It's been, um, uh, I think, uh, alleviating to some degree to know that we're not crazy or that we're not doing something that we ought not to, or just trying to gain a little better perspective on how we should proceed, why we should proceed, and, and mm-hmm. why it's. I, I guess the fundamental reason of why, you know, it's an us thing. It's not a me thing. It's mm-hmm. to help make us better. Tell me a little bit about what's gone on between you since we met. Uh, even yesterday in preparation to meet with you today, we re-listened to our session with you and we chunked it out and we would pause it and we say, okay, is this true? Is what she's bringing to the table? Is this true? Is this not? And man, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to have so many things exposed um, again and again and again. And I think that's an area that we came very, very united on after yesterday is we can sit here and hash up everything that's happened with his training in the past and everything that has happened with his mom in the past. And we do not know how to move on. We don't know, like, Mm -hmm. do we just never talk about it again? Is there just one big, bold conversation we have with his mom and then we move on? I mean, they live down the road from us, which makes Mm -hmm. it complicated. We feel like we both agree that there is a wall here. There's a problem here. There's a disconnect here. And we don't know how that actively resolves in a day-to-day life as a couple. What does it look like when we choose each other? You know, like, what does that even look like? Yeah. Well, um, just to kind of give a couple thoughts, you know, the way that couples resolve painful histories is they come to a new and higher understanding about themselves and their role in that painful reality. So they use it to grow themselves up. They're able to go back to it if needed because they understand it. They have come to a place where they can forgive themselves and each other for what you did as a natural outgrowth of where you were in your development at that point, right? Rather than using it as once again, a memory of how you didn't love me the right way. um, Then it just kind of becomes this wounding that just keeps happening over and over. So I'm not saying, Hey, you need to be there today, but I think the couples that thrive learn how to look at their histories, their painful histories and see their own limitations within it and address those to become better. So they see it as something that sourced their development as painful as it was. They're also using it to do hard things, to maybe have that conversation, to engage with each other in a better or different way. So they're utilizing it to propel their development forward. That's the fastest track to forgiveness is to watch your spouse try genuinely 
not trying to prove to you that they're trying, genuinely self-confronting and doing something in a better way for your benefit, for your shared benefit. So that's often a very powerful source of forgiveness as well. So that feels so clear. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no. Um, That feels so clear. We had one part of our conversation last night that just was painful, right? Just Mm -hmm. raw. We're sitting right in these seats, just like this. And we were talking about, does this conversation need to have with his mom? Mm -hmm. Uh, Does this need to happen? And he put his hand on my knee. Is it okay if I tell her this? Absolutely. Put his hand on my knee and he said, would that be enough for you? Mm. in that moment. And I think even a month ago, prior to meeting with you, I would have been kind of offended. Mm. But my eyes were so open to the fact that in that moment, I am just left and right demanding things of him. That has Mm. been my mode of operation, has Mm. been be that demanding wife. And I do not want to be that. Mm -hmm. And as we talked through that, it was just evidence that I'm just asking for demands and he would do anything for me. Mm-hmm. And if it's that desire is the partner where I'm like, I don't want you to go have that conversation because I asked you to have it yeah. there on my behalf. And I can't control whether that conversation happens or not, but being able to step away from being able to still progress as a couple, regardless if that specific conversation happens or that expectation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's good what you're doing. You're, you're stopping a bit and looking at yourself and saying, my husband's made a response. And rather than just going to, you know, how dare you make that response in that way, you're looking at yourself and saying, am I being too demanding? And I asking for too much. And then I think you're also coming to this position, which I think is right, which is I don't want him to go have a conversation with his mother because of me. Right. And I agree with that in the compliance way, because I think that, Dave, when you're saying, would that be enough? You're in the old model. So you're nodding. Just tell me what, if you understand that, what do you understand about that? So the rehash is, is this, that I need to want to do it instead of being prompted to want to do it. Yeah. That the end goal ends up being that I'm doing it for us. I'm not doing it because I was asked to or because yeah. I'm being force fed to. Right. The muscle that's overworked in you and undermines your happiness is keeping people happy with you. So, yeah. right. Managing the demands of everybody. People pleaser. Yeah. And that looks much better than it is. It looks kinder than it is even rather than, you know, I just have to manage all you people. It makes it hard to like being in relationship because it's so connected to obligation and demand. If you are saying I have a problematic relationship with my mother and it's interfering legitimately with my wife's happiness and our happiness. And I want to grow myself up around this and move myself out of a validation seeking position and into a more adult position. Then I might want to consider having a conversation or different than the idea of a conversation is taking a different position, a more grown up position with my mother for my benefit, for our benefit. Yes. But that's not a compliance frame. That's an integrity frame. So would it be enough for you is 
not the right picture. Now, I think it's fair, Carly, for you to be thinking about, do I just try to get a sense of self by demanding a lot of things? And is this another version of that? And do I need to back off of that? Right. And I think you are kind of backing off it, at least in what you were articulating earlier, which is, I don't want this to be about you complying with me. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you said, even just a minute and a half ago or so, when you said the best way to heal is just to see the partner trying. Yeah. And I have seen him just in the past month, even though that actual conversation may not have happened, I have seen him standing up for me more mm-hmm. without, without me saying anything, without any reference point, mm-hmm. even other than um, mm-hmm. trying to do this. So I, there has been a shift. Yeah. I see it. That's and awesome. Smoke, so my crazy demanding, I cannot believe how many times. I catch myself almost in a manipulative way, trying yeah. him to behave a certain way. And that is ridiculous. Yeah. But holy smokes, I'm aware. Great. That's exactly it. Like seeing Dave relate differently to his mother, to himself and to you, and to know there's something in him that's shifting and it is protective of you in the best sense of the word. That's the beauty in development and in couples becoming stronger. It's right there. Um, Yeah. Say a little bit, if you would, about recognizing in yourself your own demandingness or manipulativeness. Tell me a little bit about what you see there. Uh, I think I have walked around for long enough with a you owe me attitude. Mm. And so I, for example, it's going to seem small and then probably big to some, depending on who your listeners are. Um, Things like I'm leaving to a business conference in a few days and how I have been so tempted to bring up the fact of how many times I was left for him to go to his Mm. professions conferences and how hard it was and I'm like gosh it's going to be so hard for him and this is so good for him to experience what it's like Mm. for you Mm. to just whisk away for a week and all this kind of stuff with the exception of this exact moment I haven't said anything (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I recognize my need that I want him to feel bad for what he's done in the past when the past is over it is over and and yet I'm somehow trying to force him to say sorry again for the 900th time, or I'm trying to force him right. to rehash. Exactly. That. Does that, that's one example. Oh yeah. It's excellent. What you're saying. I mean, good for you for seeing it and stopping yourself. I think you're talking about what is a very human thing, which is if I use the frame of victimhood, I can pressure you to yield to me and you're confronting it. You're saying, why on earth would I be bringing this up just to get him to apologize for the 900th time? There's no virtue in it. It's not needed. It's just a way of keeping this old dynamic alive of you've hurt me, therefore you owe me. And Dave feeling like he's got to cough out another accommodation or apology, which is precisely the dynamic that makes you both miserable. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't he be able in such a valid way, say again, if I apologize, would that be enough for you? I mean, it is like, yeah, no, that's right. It's, it's inducting him right into that muscle. And for him to say, like, I'll say anything if this 
tyranny can stop. <laughs> and, you know, and that's that same old muscle that again is bad for both of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have not largely seen it as bad for me until recently. Um, mm-hmm. I've just tried to create pain for him, which how kind of me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I think any honest listener can relate to that in themselves. You know, the ways that we are trying to get accommodation, but we're making ourselves very difficult to love because loving us is connected to feeling controlled or, you know, judged. And we do it for the sense of control, but it interferes with what we want, which is to be chosen, to be desired, to have someone care for us by their own free will and choice. Mm -hmm. Profound. Yeah. What do you think would be the most helpful thing to focus on for today's session? Um, I mean, this is something that is a really fun thing for us to talk about because we feel like, I mean, we're not the the miracle case by any means, but we feel like we've made great progress Mm -hmm. in just a a small amount of time. Um, But we have also noticed that we have had a, a kind of politeness between the two of us in regards to intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything has been very mechanical, um, Mm -hmm. very, you know, when schedule allows, all those kinds of things. And this may feel like such a shift from the earlier things we were talking about. But we were talking last night and we were like, this is like the prime of our lives right now. We are done having kids. We both can generally get eight hours of sleep a night. We are in this time when you know, we've invested in your courses and, and all those kinds of things, which have been so incredible. And it's a shameless plug to buy them all. But um, mm-hmm. we feel very stuck mm-hmm. on how to reconcile exploring mm-hmm. uh, a sexual life that is exciting, that is fulfilling, that is exotic, that is erotic, mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. And the only roads that we know of are feel inappropriate that we mm. either like porn or we go buy a Cosmo magazine or we Google it and we're like, oh, for three on those kinds of explorations. Um, mm-hmm. Where can we start so that we don't have this feeling of this feels inappropriate to gather information in this mm-hmm. way? Well, maybe start by talking to me a little bit about what you fear or what feels inappropriate to you about any of those options which is not me promoting those options. I'm just saying, talk to me about yourselves relative to those things. Uh, I think your standard Google search will yield probably results that aren't exactly uh, in line with our core belief system and uh, trying to not expose ourselves to unwanted attention um, through the different solicitations from online tracking in that regard mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, little hesitant to pull up a search sure. browser and just start going hog wild with any of that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about, I don't want to participate in that online world, both for kind of linking myself to it in any way that I, that it could be seeking me out, but also kind of who knows what would be out there, uh, what I might encounter. Yeah. Tell me what you are wanting though. What is it you're trying to create between you? Uh, the word we thought of was adventure, right? 
adventure. Yeah. Um, we want it to feel different. We want it to feel um, exciting. We want it to feel new. Uh, I can't imagine that's a real uncommon desire for your listeners. Yeah. There's two ways, I think, to kind of move out of stagnancy. Uh, one is through expanding your relationship, confronting your relationship a little bit like what we talked about last time. Um, then I'm going to give you another way, which is about new ideas and so on. Tell me about your physical relationship. What is it like? Has it been different at all in the past few weeks? Give me the picture of how you relate to each other sexually. Um, I think that I have felt like many insecurities have left me. Um, mm. Things that I have been nervous about, things that I have been resentful about, um, that kind of a self-awareness has improved for me. Um, That's excellent, Carly. Let me just make sure I'm following that. So you're saying that you have seen in yourself, even in the sexual realm, kind of less resentment and more openness or more comfort with yourself. What, can you say that again, just so I can get the picture? Sure. I mean, if I would have painted it more black and white, mm -hmm. um, you know, months ago, I had a really hard time getting fully into a sexual experience because mm -hmm. the thought running through my mind is this is a man who won't defend me mm -hmm. over yeah. and yeah. over and over. I mean, it's kind of hard to become aroused or want to be adventurous sure. when you feel like this is someone who won't come to my defense, right? It's like absolutely the thing a woman wants or that I wanted at that sure. time. And so I have largely let go of the fact that I can't force him to defend me. And if I do, I'm going to feel the same way anyway. I'm going to yep. be resentful that he didn't want to want to want to want to want to defend me, right? Yeah. I mean that's been kind of the trail. Yeah. And so I don't think about that when we're intimate anymore. I don't hang on to it because I don't want it either way. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying watching Dave defend you more as you were talking about earlier, watching him shift his relationship to you and his mother, knowing that it wasn't coming out of you demanding it, just watching him do it, that you have felt more open to him. That, yeah. Okay. That's a big deal because you can get all the, you know, Cosmo magazines in the world. <laughs> and if there's this sort of fundamental distrust about who the person is, I mean, you might get through the act of sex. You might be able to have a novel thing that kind of allows you to kind of disconnect from your resentments, but there's a limitation on how open hearted the sexual relationship will be, how intimate it will be. And, you know, so much of women's sexuality, this can be true for men too, so I don't mean to be too categorical on this, but often women's sense of opening up their body and their heart is linked to this sense of, I see you, I feel chosen by you, and therefore I want you inside me. I want to be close to you. And when that's not there, Again, you might get through an intimate act, but you are guarded and careful and don't allow yourself to be free as a kind of intrinsic self-protection. And so, when you say yeah. you feel guarded, um, I still feel guarded, but now by a different different thing. idea. 
different. Yeah. And that is, I don't know what to do to make. Okay, this good. Work. Okay. Well, let, we'll definitely get there. We'll definitely get to that. But I think this piece is definitely worth underscoring because it's really good to say, I feel the guardedness coming down based on our character development. I like myself more and being less controlling. I'm seeing him make choices that are really about choosing me, not managing me. Therefore, I love him more. I feel more open to him. And the more a couple keeps growing in terms of their character and their connection, the deeper and richer that gets, which is a big deal because the sex doesn't feel lonely then. The sex feels like a part of a kind of intimate friendship. It also becomes easier to start bringing more of your erotic mind into a relationship where you know that you're chosen. You're like, this guy chooses me and he's willing to kind of tolerate his mother's invalidation for me. Like that gets a woman lubricated. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so, you know, that's just not a small thing. Um, is there anything you want to add to that, Dave? I mean, any, what have you observed about your sexual relationship in the last month? If you also have seen it shifting. Um, just like Carly was um, mentioning before about her openness, I sensed in the past at what I esteemed to be some guardedness, some um, some reservation, you know, without understanding fully the complexity of of wanting to open up mind, body, and soul, mm -hmm. and how intimately connected all of those concepts are, and how important it is for her in particular to know that I'm a trusted confidant and that I do indeed have her best interest and mm -hmm. um, that I can defend her and I can be her guardian in that realm. Mm -hmm. You're saying that you've noticed it too. You have experienced Carly as more open sexually, more open to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Courage is attractive, you know, and tolerating invalidation for doing the stronger thing is sexy. <laughs> it really is <laughs> okay so then you guys are saying you know how do we expand our sexual relationship how do we get it out of the routine i may be putting words in your mouth so you just tell me if this is it or if it's a little different than you know how do we create more adventure and freedom between us without betraying our ideals is that the right question yes okay good so the audience knows Carly and Dave are nodding and giving me a thumbs up. Okay. Okay. Well, I think what I would think about is, as you know, probably from the courses, I make a distinction between exposure to erotic ideas, right? Or um, how to say it, you know, erotic themes in movies or something. There's a distinction between that exposure and goodness versus evil. And a lot of us have culturally made them one and the same. People can clearly use their sexuality to do evil things, okay? And you certainly want to be a discerning consumer of ideas and information that are out there. But for many couples, creating and allowing themselves to explore erotic themes and ideas is often a really valuable part of creating a kind of grown-up playfulness, right? So sometimes I make the comparison of like a seven and eight-year-old may want to play cops and robbers, 
it's not because the eight-year-old wants to grow up and be a robber, okay, <laughs> or a cop mm -hmm. for that matter. They're playing with archetypal identities and positions, right? They're playing out a kind of power dynamic and it's fun and you're trying on different identities. And when we're grown-ups, often in our efforts to be good people, we kind of double down on a kind of super ego, fear-based, you know, restriction on ourselves and we don't make enough room for grown-up playfulness. Even though I think it's very connected to a strong intimate relationship and our spirituality as well. So often in our efforts, why do I think it's connected to spirituality? Yeah. Because I think that first of all, if we reject our sexuality and our embodiment, we're in a divided place within our souls. And so we are actually fear-based and we're undermining our spirituality. A lot of times we think, okay, well, we have our spirits and our bodies house our spirits and they're just kind of there to, give wheels to our spirit so we can do things, but there's like an uneasy connection between the two where I think much more like, um, you know, Parley P. Pratt talked about this, that it's actually like the sensuality is a way of loving each other and knowing God. So in a couple, the couples that have the aliveness of a strong sexual relationship are the happiest most joyful, most at peace with themselves and each other. Like I take seriously the idea that we might have joy <laughs> and joy is so connected to the pleasures in life. As long as those pleasures are anchored in our morality, but not weighed down and suffocated by our morality. Most of us are trying to suffocate the pleasures with should, right? With yeah. should. So that's what you do, Dave, right? Like, I mean, at least day from a month ago, <laughs> I really should, you know, do this more, do that. You know, that's more that kind of like trying to fulfill every obligation, which does achieve some good in doing that, but it can weigh one's self down, one's psyche and soul down so much that there's no room for joy and peace and freedom. And when we're really living wisely, we have joy in our lives. doesn't mean our lives are devoid of pain or struggle, but we have the ability to participate in the beauty of life and the beauty of our partnership. And perhaps paradoxical, it doesn't seem paradoxical anymore, but it's that so much of the joy and love is in being able to share your whole embodied erotic self with your spouse, the kind of freedom and being able to fully be your sexual and sensual self with another. Like there is no deeper form of friendship. A place to create pleasure and joy with one another is a kind of super glue that can't be replicated in any form. It's why marriage has the ability to be so special, so unique. Can I ask you a question? About sure. That? Um, one of the things that we that we talked about and I actually stole a quote from yours, from your group. Mm -hmm. and we talked about it a little, and it may be a place that we get stuck. And some of your listeners may be like, you are so privileged to let that be a sticking point for you. 
But one of the challenges um, that we face is the constant desire to serve the other person sexually. Yeah. And it just becomes this like, yeah, it has to be me first, but no, but what you, a drag. And like, <laughs> it's like a nobody, little, oh, nobody wins. Nobody wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're both trying to prove you're the good one. Right. Yeah. I mean, oh, like, it's the but, worst. Fact, I mean, I, we, we are so, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was like, we feel like we understand a lot of concept and now it's like, how can we get practical here? Like mm-hmm. if that's what we are experiencing, how do we get practical? So well, that first of all, that's great. I'm glad to hear it like that simply because I think it's like exactly where you guys get stuck. And I'm just going to be completely straight with you. It's like pseudo goodness, pseudo spirituality. It's like fake spiritual, fake good. <laughs> Sorry. I know it sounds kind of mean right now. Like, I'm trying to prove I'm the good one by serving you first. No, no, I'm the good one. I'll serve you. But it's, I don't know that you're trying to prove it to each other as much as yourselves almost. Like, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to see myself as taking. I would rather have the control of being the giver than the vulnerability and exposure of being given to. Right? 100%. Okay. And so, sorry for calling you all fake spiritual and everything, <laughs> but what I mean is that a lot of times, <laughs> we, you know, we get caught in these sort of external measures of the good and we're losing the spirit of the law. One of the kindest things you can do for yourself and your spouse is to let yourself be given to genuinely, to let yourself be blessed, right? To allow yourself the exposure of just being loved sexually and the vulnerability of not servicing back to have earned it or to kind of hide behind that servicing. And so I think what I would encourage you to do is think about that impulse in you as not coming from as good a place as you think, more of a way to hide with each other. I can, I can see that being maybe a reason. So tell me more, Dave, about what you relate to in that, I think that sometimes the arousal part of it, for me, at least in the giving component, having uh, Carly in a great place, having made sure that she has her mm-hmm. desires and needs fulfilled helps mm-hmm. me. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I don't feel like it's necessary. Yeah. It would be a selfish standpoint because well, it I, helps. helping her helps me. <laughs> well, I, I, may be, I may be totally dead wrong about this, uh, what I'm going to say. But I actually think, you know, Ian Kerner wrote a book called She Comes First. And I, I think there's something that is somewhat innate and true about masculine energy, especially in the sexual realm, that does genuinely delight in that blessing sexually, right? Um, it's one of my favorite things about masculinity or masculine energy, or I appreciate that generosity in my husband. And it also is, I love that he loves that so much. Like, I think it genuinely is a part of his pleasure to give me pleasure. And so I don't see that so much as, you know, necessarily I've got to prove that I'm good by giving to you first. Uh, I think if a couple's too rigidly in one pattern, that can often become a problem. But I think where I might push you a little bit as a couple is Carly for you. Tell me what you think about this to let the relationship be somewhat imbalanced in your direction, Carly. What do you think about your capacity to receive from Dave? 
such a good question. Such a good question. The fear that comes to my mind is I feel like the expectation is that I have to arrive and I panic mm-hmm. that it'll take me too long because mm-hmm. he's up really early. And like mm-hmm. I start to look at like, what if it takes me mm-hmm. way, way, way too long? And because I don't maybe carry that masculine energy that, mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have learned to really appreciate that I don't know if I believe him that he really loves doing that as much as he says he does. Mm -hmm. And so I I have this disbelief and I feel pressured. I feel pressured that I have to have to crank this up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it makes me skip things or ideas or because what if it doesn't work? I don't want to make him Mm -hmm. feel bad or does that? Yeah. Oh, it makes, uh, believe me, I'm sure big part of the audience is like, Oh, yeah, I do that, too. (laughs) So I think yes, a lot of, well, first of all, that performance pressure is a terrible thing in a sexual relationship. Because if it's about intimacy, and letting yourself be known, and letting it be free, the kindest thing you can do for yourself, Carly, in that moment, and your sexual relationship is to say, it's okay, if I can't get there. It's okay, if I don't, quote unquote, succeed, because that's not the goal. The goal is to be here wholeheartedly. The goal is to let Dave love me sexually. Mind blowing. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> okay. Carly's doing a mind blowing thing. It's <laughs> like tactical. Yeah, I'm using my hands. Sorry to your listeners, but I'm using my hands to say my mind is blown because I, I'm always like, should I tell him I'm not sure? Like today was stressful or it's really late or it's like, should I try and precursor that because then it just feels like it kills everything yeah in the moment if I'm like oh I'm not sure today's my day like how do you say that how do you say that in a way that isn't like I don't want to be here but if if the expectation is that I can just fully be present that would change everything for me I mean I understand you want to maybe communicate to Dave I'm going to be working on that because I get into this performance pressure thing and I don't want to do that to me or us So just know that I'm going to be letting that go and making my goal about receiving from you and being here with you and not judging myself by something I can't control, which is what my body does. Right. Okay. So Dave is like, yes, 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 yes. So speak to that, Dave. Uh, Yeah. The things that you're saying, and I've sensed some of that apprehensiveness in those moments. And I think that, yeah, having... Kind of shifted the perspective into one of just engaging in the intimacy instead of having the expectation. I almost feel like it kind of connects the dots itself. Like mm-hmm. instead of about the score, just focus on enjoying the game. Uh, exactly. That, that, that analogy, but no, it's a great analogy. It's exactly it. It's like if we're here to measure each other, measure ourselves. That's not love. That's not loving. And I think the right picture, Dave, is that Carly, you're worth the time. You're worth my time. You're worth my energy. And I'm not going to measure you by whether or not you orgasm. So I like giving to you. It's the best. It's the best. Yes. Right. It's the best. So Carly, tell me what is coming up for you. Oh, this is super tender. Your listeners are like, wow, what happened to her? Um, I just think realizing that um, that I have not been present actually makes me really sad. Mm -hmm. I have just, 
I have craved time with him for 14 years. We've been married 14 years. Mm-hmm. And I have craved time for him for so long. And that is a time I have wasted mm-hmm. in my own psychology of being scared or nervous or that I have not been present. Yes. So I don't really have a solution for that. I just, like, no, I, and I regret that. I have regret there. Yeah. Well, you're doing what so many of us do is in the face of exposure and vulnerability. We are trying to present ourselves in a way we want to be known and understood, but then we interfere with freedom and friendship, right? If we think I have to be something for my husband to accept me, it infects the relationship. So the most courageous thing you can do, Carly, and this is somewhat antithetical to how many of us as LDS women have grown up thinking, but to trust in your worthiness enough to let yourself be loved and cherished sexually, to really let yourself be given to, to believe in your worthiness enough that you're worth day's time and that you're worth not having the pleasure. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like you're worth trying. You're worth trying an idea because the two of you have made enough room for each other to do this all imperfectly and to prioritize your pleasure and joy as a couple. Just to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an act of courage, but if you have the courage, you get the reward on the other side of that. You expand what the relationship can be. And, you know, I think women's sexuality is very connected to trusting in their own worthiness, to let themselves be loved because then their sexuality can really flourish and can really expand. It is nourishing literally to your soul and to the relationship. I have missed that piece, I think, big time. The other piece is that if you both feel freedom in your sexual relationship, it's so much better than any relationship with your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't resist. (laughs) But it also makes it clear about keeping your mother in her place. (laughs) You don't want her infecting the best part of your life. Did you just say woof? (laughs) <laughs> yeah we have come full circle here we go <laughs> yeah but I think I'll just say one more thing about it Carly which is that I think that this allowing yourself to really be given to and letting yourself really receive it is to expand your sense of who you really are is to let yourself be loved. And that takes real courage. I just think it does. So to just understand it as courageous and a worthy pursuit. Then, and I don't want to lose track of your initial question, then the idea of like, okay, how do we make this, like we're having a good time. I like it when you give to me. I tried this other idea the other day. It didn't work. Okay, here's another idea I want to try. But in some ways, like, if you can get freed up around trying things, well, then your creativity can flow a little more. So something you could do. So first of all, there's lots of things. There's apps out there. There's one, 
I think it's Intimately Us. I actually don't know this app well, but it's one that's um, an LDS couple um, that they've done where they have different challenges or different ideas. There's other ones out there, like I'm overplaying this one because it's the one I just remember, like 101 Nights of Great Sex or something like that. So there's different ideas and they just give you different templates or things you can try. So those are often good starting places of different ways you can bring this element of surprise into your sexual relationship. But I think if it starts to open up, like I'm going to talk about my whacked self. (laughs) What I mean is if you're saying, okay, I'm just going to lean on your side of this, Carly, for a minute. I trust that my husband loves me, that he wants to give to me. And so maybe I can also trust that there's room for me to be imperfect at this. There's room for me to not have an orgasm. But there's also maybe room for me to share my sexual fantasies or the ideas that I appeal to me or what I think might appeal to me. Not because you have to have it all nailed down or figured out, but more like you can say, well, I just know I always like this idea. For example, you might say, like, I like the idea of something being forbidden. Okay. Like, lots of people like to make it less legal, that you pretend that it's before you're married, or you pretend that, you know, you're married to um, an abusive gay man, and and Dave is your secret lover. I mean, I don't know. People will... People will come up with ways to create stories between them that put it into a meaning frame that's kind of a fun thing to try. You know, couples will go out on a date and they'll pretend that, you know, they're meeting each other there for the first time. And, you know, playing out different meaning frames that appeal to their erotic minds. But... It's paradoxical because some people are afraid like, oh, well, if you use fantasy, then it's not so intimate. And of course, people can do that. They can use it to mask themselves from each other. But I think fantasy can often be super intimate because you're revealing your unique weirdness. (laughs) You know, the idea that you like, the silliness, the playfulness of it. And so that takes some self-acceptance and some acceptance of the other to see like, can we create something that appeals to both of us? You know, sometimes my husband and I have written erotic stories where we each contributing, like, okay, well, let's say it starts out here and this is what's happening. And then he adds a section and then I add a section and we're kind of like co-creating a meaning that we both like. Now, sometimes be like, no, no, let's not add that part. So I don't like that part. <laughs> you know, but that's okay, you know, because you're co-authoring a story. I think the thing that stands out to me is it's, it is quite manufactured. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, I think that we get really stuck in this whole idea that this is supposed to be so natural or so like spontaneous. No, I don't think of it like that. I think of it as it's an investment, like coming back to the spirituality of sexuality, the spirituality of it is in really accepting your embodied and sexual nature, not being afraid of it so much. So how do we actually create something good and solid and loving through it. And so, you know, you really make room for it. You can joke around about things. You can text each other things. A lot of people think it's got to be so sacred and quiet and serious as opposed to spontaneous and fun and even making fun of yourself about things that you like, but you're creating a place of play together. Some couples take out separate, 
you know, texts or separate emails where they kind of take on alter egos and sort of have sexual conversations as alter egos rather than can you pick up our child at three and don't forget to get the milk or whatever. And instead all that duty that weighs it down, they have a separate strand that's like, this is what I'm going to do to you tonight. <laughs> that kind of thing. And there's do this kind of playfulness. Teenager, right. Do not give the login. The <laughs> yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> so can I, this feels a little bit, um, Quite vulnerable, especially considering sure. we're all at the end of our time. So if this needs to be cut, this is your sure. warning. But um, one of the things about our past as a couple is that my high school and college years were met with sexual abuse from a boyfriend, oh. sexual and domestic, right? Mm. And because of that, I really married the absolute perfect partner for me in the sense that he will never push me. Yeah. He will never make me do anything I don't want to do ever. He vowed yeah. from day one that that would never be that way. One of the things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago as we were reviewing one of your classes is I was saying, I feel weird that I am attracted to the borderline dominant nature. Oh, yeah. You're in good Not company. Oh, 80% okay. of women feel exactly this. I'm one of them. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, ah, I mean, are you seeing the disconnect where it's like I have a violent sexual past? That was my first experience yeah. with an orgasm. Yeah. That was my first experience being physical in any form yeah. was outside of my will. And so we just talked a couple of weeks ago about this thing where something that is rough, something where I'm overpowered, something yes. that is is something that attracts me and then the minute I say it I'm like I'm crazy right yes right that you, yeah. you or like what's wrong with me what's the matter with me so I don't know why this is and I, I think there's something more biological about this than anything else it may have something to do with our most primitive ancestry <laughs> okay I'm going to give you what I think are some of the kind of easier to understand elements of that I think women like surrender. It's more feminine energy to surrender to pleasure. And in a way to have a dominant lover is that you don't have to take care of them in any way. And women are all about caretaking people's feelings and thoughts and so on. And the sense of freedom in the sexual is I don't have to take care of his feelings at all. Like the quickest way to lose your desire as a woman is to caretake your husband sexually. If you get to just surrender to your pleasure, and you can even pretend like you're just submitting to him. It's not even that you want pleasure. <laughs> you know, all the better that fantasy, right? It's like, well, I have to, okay? He told me to get naked. I have to. <laughs> now, of course, you can think like, what's the matter with me? Because in real life, that would be terrible. In real life, it is terrible, right? Well, so I sense that it's a wall maybe for him, that he knows that that is a part of my past. And is that an issue for you? Uh, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. yeah I, it's not that I'm happy to <laughs> make accommodations and, and try to rewire yeah. my thinking. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's not who I am. And so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a pushy person. And I'm not going to. All the better for you. Always. Yeah. <laughs> All the better for you to try it then. So, uh, <laughs> good thing this is only on the 
subscription podcast. I'm saying things that are a little, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think, so first of all, um, I think for you to understand it as a way of a kind of play and a kind of playing with a dynamic that's different than the day to day between you or something that you would condone in real life is to take a different position, right? So now I think Carla, you need to really kind of figure out how you feel about it and if you want this, but I think it's, if you're saying it appeals to me, I like it and I want to kind of try that as long as you, Dave, know she wants that and that Carly, you feel in control of being able to say, you know, no, my mind's going to a different place and I, I want to not do that anymore. You know, as long as you feel genuinely in control of that, Carly, like that, I think that you could explore the freedom. I mean, that's one of the things you're talking about in this is the wanting to be able to surrender more. Dave wanted you to be able to surrender more. And that's a meaning frame in which you almost feel freer to do it. Right. And so I think as long as you feel in control of trying it and stopping it, if it starts to go into something traumatic or not good, then I think that would have a different meaning for Dave. If it felt like this is something she wants and that blesses her and allows her to surrender to her own pleasure. Um, and that's very different than condoning the abuse. So it's easier for someone to understand that hasn't been abused because they can just see it as I'm playing with an idea that I don't condone in the light of day. If you've actually been abused, it may be more confusing because it could feel like a validation of the abuse. And I but, think the thing that, it, that draws me to it is because if I struggle to surrender, right? If, I, mm -hmm. if that is part of my issue right now is that I struggle to surrender in that moment, it feels almost fake to me. It feels like, like you said, it's a separate identity. And so it's almost easier because it feels like play. Oh, I see what you're saying. Got it. Yeah. That, that allows me to kind of say, this is sort of pretend. And it feels really weird to me, but I have expressed that to him and I know that there's a hesitation there. Yeah. But I think that's genuinely okay. I think like allowing yourself to try on different personas in this way is a kind of very normal part of human experience and it is intimate. So, you know, I know for myself, if I kind of pull an idea into my mind, it will, it just kind of allows me to move into a sexual arena because it's like a different meaning. And I don't think that's a function of limitation necessarily. I think that's a function of grown up play. Yeah. And so I think the other thing is that for your mind in actual trauma, you genuinely do not have control, right? In right. trauma, you really are losing yourself in the worst way. In sexual partnership, you're working with meanings and your mind and body knows you are in the driver's seat of your own experience. And it's very different in terms of its meaning and impact. So, you know, I have the one of the kindest, most self-effacing husbands on the planet uh, who is not your stereotypical dominant male. And he's such a good person that he'll step into that persona <laughs> for me. Well, and he enjoys it too, right? Like it's, it's a wonderful thing for both of us. So it doesn't validate 
anything beyond a kind of playing of, of positions. And that's very normal human beings, like in sexuality, some of the typical meaning frames are around hierarchy. They are around playing with meanings of like innocence and experience or forbidden and, you know, breaking of rules. So for a lot of good people, they're like, what is the matter with me? But, you know, I say, no, the erotic just plays in that realm. And strangely, the more you can just accept it, the less power it has over you and the more it blesses your life. The more we're afraid of it, the more it takes on a kind of perversity and undermines our well-being, either through repression or indulgence. Wow. Profound. Hmm. So maybe we'll wrap things up. I um, Maybe we'll have you back on again at some point. I'd be kind of curious to see <laughs> um, how this all goes. But I think if you're both courageous and are invested in creating something together that blesses you both, your life is going to be richer and happier for it. And you'll find a spiritual anchoring that's much more joyful as well. Thank you so much for letting us be here. Yeah, thank you for your inspiration. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, Dave and Carly, thank you. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome, you guys. Bye. So I'd like to make just a few observations about this couple of Carly and Dave. This is their second meeting with me. And I think while it was a little bit difficult, I think for them to articulate fully what had shifted between them, Carly watching her husband make efforts on her behalf out of his own integrity, not out of a compliance frame, was driving her openness to him emotionally and sexually. She was clear that she knows this path of pressuring him or guilting him into compliance. But even though that would give her a sense of control in the marriage, it would never give her the feeling of being loved. And so watching him function more from a place of his own integrity, being uncomfortable in dealing with his family relationships and looking after her and their relationship, that her trust and desire for him grew. Then what I saw is that that actually shifted the conversation in the couple to be more about their sexual relationship because if she has the issue of the relationship interfering with desire, it's harder to address it. But once that starts to get reconciled, then it pushes you up against often the questions or challenges you may have about your relationship to your sexuality. And so that's what we saw happen in the conversation with this couple. And so they both have some ambivalence about their relationship to pleasure and sexuality I think because it's been linked for both of them more with impropriety or irresponsibility. And they're both, I think, quite responsible people. What I mean by that is that they grew up, you know, him as a hero child and her as in a maternal role, I think feeling like they should be the kind of responsible one or the more generous one. So I, I think that this desire to create something more alive and authentic and um, spontaneous between them is pushing them to confront some of their feelings about and relationship to sexual pleasure. 
I also think a theme in this is very much around Carly trusting her husband enough to let him really love her through his physicality and to really let herself be loved in this way and to let that courage bless the two of them because it's clear that he really wants to give to her in this way, not to prove something about himself, but because he really does want to love her in this regard. So I think that's clearly a theme. And then of course she's confronting this self-awareness that there's a part of her that wants to submit to the pleasure that wants to kind of play out a meaning of submission and in a context of knowing abuse and having experienced it as a younger person, that can be confusing. But as I talked about on the podcast, when we think about masculine and feminine energy, there is this synergistic quality that's especially explicit in sexuality where we want to kind of polarize and that polarization creates the tension that's really fundamental to sexual pleasure. Couples often polarize into masculine and feminine extremes in sex. So, and I don't mean extreme as in unhealthy or strange. I mean that we kind of go to the poles because the tension increases. And so couples that might in the light of day have some combination of masculine and feminine energy in their capacities and their tendencies might move into more polarized positions in their sexual relationship. And for most men and women, it's congruent with their gender, meaning men tend to go into the more masculine energy and women in the more feminine. But there's plenty of couples, even heterosexual couples, where it's the opposite, right? Um, but the masculine is more the acting, acting upon. Feminine is more receptive and receiving of pleasure. And so many times couples will move into um, playing out of one side of a dynamic. That's what Carly and Dave were recognizing in themselves and confused by it because it seemed, well, antisocial or, you know, somehow condoning of actual abuse. And so that can be a confusing thing. I think it's helpful to consider childhood play where you're often playing out antisocial roles or playing out aspects of the human experience. And so um, I think this is often true in our sexuality. And as long as we have a good sense of humor and we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we stay anchored in our morality and also, you know, what's creating something loving and fun and good for the couple then these aspects of our humanity and our sexual minds can find a place that not only doesn't interfere with our sexuality, but in fact, blesses it. So I hope this conversation was helpful to you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.